to the Light Reading Podcast, where we discuss the people, technology, and finance behind the world's communications networks. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor at Light Reading, and today I'm discussing some big steps toward moving telco networks, in particular AT&T's new 5G network, into the cloud, or making those networks more cloud-like. We'll get into all that with Light Reading's executive editor, Mitch Wagner. Mitch has been an IT journalist for several years, and he's been covering AT&T's latest deal, which uh, demonstrates that it's uh, moving even farther along in terms of virtualizing its network and really building a new kind of communications network with its uh, 5G network, or its almost 5G network. Uh, so get ready for some cloudy conversation with Mitch Wagner right after this break. Joining me on the Light Reading Podcast is Mitch Wagner, Executive Editor of Light Reading. Hello, Mitch. Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me on today. Hey, no problem. How's things going? Oh, things are going well. I haven't had quite enough coffee yet, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to keep it alert anyway. Yes, indeed. Um, well, and we can always remedy that if we need to. Um, we, we can put in one of our fake commercial breaks and you can go get coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I uh, so we have something to talk about, about uh, this Mirantis AT&T um, deal that was uh, recently announced and, and recently reported. Uh, by you. And one of the things, I guess, that uh, to set the scene here, this is all about um, AT&T making moves to um, continue to virtualize its infrastructure as it builds out its 5G network and, uh, um, you know, moves to a more uh, vendor agnostic uh, state of being. Uh, sounded very, uh, very new agey there for a minute, but... Um, but, you know, the, the, as AT&T has been saying for a number of years, at least since 2013, uh, you know, they've, they've wanted to virtualize their infrastructure. They've wanted to become less dependent on proprietary vendors. And this seems like a big deal because, as you reported, it's an eight-figure deal with Mirantis. Uh, Mirantis is not uh, a box vendor of any sort. And um, so I guess, I, I guess my first question is, what does this deal uh, encompass? What does it include? What's what's it actually for? So the deal is for the cloud foundation for uh, their entire US 5G network eventually. So they are really betting the future of the company on Kubernetes and on OpenStack to a large extent. Hmm. Right now they have, according to them, 12 locations up and running, at least in part on 5G. 12 cities across the United States. And of course, as a side note, there is some controversy over that. Verizon is saying, no, that's not 5G, but let's just call it 5G for the purposes of yeah, this discussion. For, for the sake of argument, they're, they're the next yeah. step in their mobile network development, I guess. Yeah, and, and they're hoping to roll out seven more at least by June. And literally minutes ago, as we listen to this, I read a story from our colleague Dan Jones about how they've got two more locations up online. So that's... Uh, 12 plus two, that's 14, my goodness. Um, yeah. So, um, and, and they're basically doing this for agility because 5G requires a lot of 
segmentation and a lot of customization and a lot of being able to spin up networks on the fly. Indeed, that is what 5G is for, even more than bandwidth. And the second reason they're doing it is to control their own destiny. If you're if you're just writing a check to a vendor and installing the vendor boxes, really you're just you know you're just kind of like you're you're kind of like a franchise for the vendor, you know. Um, yeah. The same way the same way your McDonald's is 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 owned by a local business, but it's really just a McDonald's. Um, if you're buying all your stuff from an Ericsson or a Nokia, you're really just an Ericsson or a Nokia. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you know, it's it's interesting too because AT and T's they've been saying that all along that uh, you know they wanted to put themselves in a position to be able to innovate at a different pace than the vendors that they depended on. Um, they weren't exactly calling out their vendors, though well, they were, in fact, but they were they were sick of being locked in. And when they decided to go in a direction strategically, it's like they would almost have to ask permission. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's what you do when you're dealing with a single vendor solution or when you're buying your solutions from vendors, you're in the business of negotiating with vendors. Yeah. Um, so Marantis, not a vendor. Um, they're, they're a different kind of company. Um, let's, let's talk quickly a bit about, um, and then, well, I want to get into the behind the scenes part of the deal because I thought that was amusing from a media point of view, but first, uh, first let's talk about why this is significant, um, for Marantis, the company, and then, you know, what kind of company Marantis is. All right. So for Marantis as a company, it's significant because they have been dealing with the perception that they were floundering a bit. Um, some of that was founded. They had uh, some layoffs a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they initially had pinned their strategy and marketing on being the OpenStack company. OpenStack being one of those technologies that often comes up both in telecom and IT and even on the consumer side that tends to overpromise. Mm-hmm. So the initial promise of OpenStack was that it was going to be the public cloud platform and that it was going to put Amazon out of business. Hmm. Um, and then what happens, as often happens in situations like this, the reality falls far short of that, but then people lose sight of the fact that the reality is actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, so if you are looking to create your own private cloud, at least until recently, OpenStack was the platform for that. Very few people are creating their own private clouds, but those that do are pretty big and pretty sophisticated. Now, more recently than that, Kubernetes has overshadowed OpenStack for that particular technology. Okay. Um, so they're, they're both so, similar technologies um, and neither one of them is destined to put Amazon out of business, but, but they are yeah. great at building cloud infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Amazon actually runs Kubernetes and there are software engineers out there screaming right now. going, No, great. They're completely different. But for the purposes of this discussion, they're, close enough to the same so let's just say that yeah we we, um, we have to apologize to the audience that, that these things are all dumbed down for my benefit this is um <laughs> uh, and, uh, <laughs> i i i could only get so technical in any given conversation so yes for the for the broad base of of 
of what we're talking about, which is AT&T evolving its, its mobile network to get on the path to 5G. A necessary step in that is not just becoming more efficient with how you deploy technology, but actually virtualizing you know, everything that you can and making it all software defined. And one, yeah. one way to do that is to go into that direction of uh, building cloud infrastructure. And that's clearly what they're doing here. Obviously, there's more ways, uh, there's different ways they could have done it than just OpenStack and Kubernetes, but that's kind of beside the point. The point is both of those technologies are open source and have mm -hmm. um, support now from Mirantis, who will not only contribute, I guess, on AT&T's behalf, um, but also... Yeah, they're, 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 do yeah, some they're other partnering things. with AT&T on the deployment. Um... Yeah, that is that is Marantis's new area here. Or when I say new, it's like a year or two old already. But they're they're yeah. basically they're 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 the open source managed cloud provider. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, I want to talk about um, what happened behind the scenes running up to this announcement. Maybe a little uh, inside baseball media stuff, and then we can talk a little bit more about um, you know what what this direction uh, from AT&T means in the broader scheme of service providers going toward 5G. We will be right back. Okay, we're back. Um, so we're talking about the AT&T and Mirantis deal and the fact that AT&T is, um, this is just another, uh, you know, step of AT&T building its uh, uh, 5G infrastructure or its next generation mobile infrastructure, if you don't really believe they're doing 5G yet. Um, but the point uh, of all of this is that it's a different type of infrastructure than AT&T has ever built. It's a different kind of, uh, uh, a, a different kind of network. And um, you know they're using virtualization, and they're using uh, OpenStack and Kubernetes, and really using um, you know building a cloud infrastructure. Um, uh, and we can get into what that means in just a second. But before we do that, um, Mitch, uh, what 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 was your experience in sort of leading up to this announcement? Because there was a, there was a quite a bit of back and forth on our uh, our internal Microsoft Teams. Uh, uh, chat session yeah so i get this uh, email from marantis's pr team saying that they're announcing a really huge deal i don't know if they said at&t at that point they're announcing a really huge deal and will i agree to the embargo you know to hold the story till a preset time which was a day or two in the future mm -hmm. um and and i said okay sure for a really huge deal uh, I'll, I'll definitely go for that and they sent me a um a, a, a press release after I agreed to the embargo that said they were joining. Um, you know, I've actually even forgotten the name of the project. It's important, but it's very nuts and bolts in engineering. It's, so they're joining a particular open source airship airship. That's yeah. It. Okay. They're joining the airship open source project. And I said, okay, this would be like different. Um, and as a matter of fact, I have to like, Right now, uh, rub, rub, rub the letters out of my nose where I fell asleep into my keyboard while I tried to read the <laughs> press release. Um, I, I, you know, 
I'm being too negative here. In but joining an open source open... project is not headline grabbing stuff. It's sort of like, no, no, okay, no, no, we no. filled out some paperwork and we agreed to play nice with all the others. Yeah, yeah. yeah big deal. Um, so I said, all right, uh, what the heck's going on here? And they said, you want to talk in the morning? And I said, yeah, sure, what the hell? So we talked in the morning and they said, oh, it's uh, it's the other thing. It's the big contract. It's AT&T. It's eight figures. It's multi-year. It's all this huge. I'm like, why didn't you say that to begin with? And it turned out that AT&T didn't approve it. Um, and AT&T to this moment has not actually confirmed this deal, but right. um, I, I suppose the lawyers will have something to say if it all turns out to be rubbish. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> right. it, it was just this weird kind of head fake thing. Like what? <laughs> I, um, yeah. It, AT&T is notoriously, um, and I can say this cause I, I spent some time on the vendor side. They're, they're a pain in the ass about getting uh, <laughs> releases approved for vendors and, <laughs> Yeah, you, you you talk about death by committee, man. Getting a press release or any amount of copy edited through AT and T's bureaucracy is one of the um, most trying things a vendor can do because they just they, they uh, to their credit, I guess they they basically strip the life out of it and put like a broad based label on it so that like you may you may go into great detail describing your technology and how awesome it is. By the time it comes back from AT&T's bureaucracy, it says, like, uh, makes networks faster. <laughs> yeah. And, and to, uh, some, to some extent, I think that's that's necessary. Oh, um, definitely. They're, they're, yeah. running for a business, they're running for, you know, business audience. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, they, it's funny because I complain. I, I'll complain about them dumbing things down because they do it to the degree that you don't even know what's going on, you know. Um, yeah, and um, it's, I, uh, it's a bit tough. Yeah, I, they, I found them to be very responsive, though. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, and, I was actually going to uh, direct people toward your article because in the article, um, the gentleman you interviewed from uh, AT and T was really great about just framing this whole, um, you know, the the kind of the story behind the story. Really, really talking about you know, even though he didn't really confirm the deal, but just sort of talking about AT&T's general network direction and why it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. They're, and they're, they're, they, he and AT&T in general was very responsive on the technology implementation and what it all means and was very cooperative in giving out a great deal of details. Um, you know, to me, this is just the nature of doing tech journalism. You get into these weird situations. Oh yeah, um, definitely. Um, so just to get back on track though, um, you know, about, about the tech part of this. Um, so we keep talking about this as uh, cloud technologies. Um, and, and I guess it, 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 it's worth asking. So this isn't being done in the public cloud. This is actually being done on premises. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. AT&T wants to control its own infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Um, they're dealing with response times. They're dealing with uh, with, with latency yeah and they're dealing with all sorts of responses responsiveness issues um and one of the one of the telcos uh um advantage when it comes to the cloud still to this day is telcos own the real estate yeah and when i say real estate i'm not being metaphorical i mean actual physical land that you can walk on um yeah. <laughs> right you know and as as we get into the world of edge computing where the compute storage and uh networking hubs have to be close to the end device 
the telco ownership of real estate becomes more important um, because the the cloud providers as huge as they are and to the extent that they have lapped telcos in so many ways and beat them on technology they have huge centralized data centers um, still important in the world of edge computing but need to be partnered with those local resources to achieve the kind of response time you need yeah that's that's where it's interesting is like uh, uh, there's sort of two things that I wonder about that's in that but first that you've answered the first one which is why why not the public cloud and and the one answer to that could be that okay maybe the public cloud isn't ready or the public cloud you know involves working with um, you know working in a way that they're maybe not completely comfortable in yet um, but I think that's less the case I think it's more the case of what you were saying um, the second sort of answer to that which is their competitive advantage and their um, what they're built to do is you know reach people at the edge because they have all that mm -hmm. edge real estate and because they're uh, they're local uh, switching offices and central offices and uh, data centers are closer to customers than just about anything that Amazon has except for Whole Foods in some neighborhoods. Yeah, it's interesting to see whether Whole Foods is going to become a cloud outpost and <laughs> could even occurred to me. They, that's where they have the real estate. Um, yeah, they've got those big so, old grocery stores. Yeah. So. Yeah, when I when I asked AT and T why they didn't put it in the public cloud, the guy I talked to was Ryan Van Wick, by the way, he's AT and T associate VP, network cloud software engineering. Okay. And he said, "This is our five G core. The scale of what we're trying to do, the performance we need, and the financials make the private infrastructure make sense." Okay. Yeah, that makes sense uh, yeah. to me. So I mean, I, I buy it because because the thing too is it, yeah, it's the scale thing. I mean, th this is also why this is an important uh, thing. Now I know people will say like. This is not that impressive, blah, blah, blah. You know, they should be using this technology versus that technology. It's like, yeah, but this is AT&T and they're building something of, a, you know, of massive scale. And you can't use every single, you know, the, the, they have to be very careful about what they stand up and where um, because of uh, how many people and businesses they have to support once it gets, uh, once the service mm -hmm. goes live. Um and because it's AT&T, I guess the next question or the, the sort of the final question I have in this in this arena is, you know, are other service providers seeing what's going on here and maybe going in the same direction? Yeah, I mean, Kubernetes and OpenStack are standard for NFV at mm -hmm. this point. Uh, NFV has been de in development a number of years, so OpenStack is the standard API set. But Kubernetes is the standard for running containerized applications. And as we see service providers move to virtualize their networks and virtualize their network functions, they are inevitably going to be going to Kubernetes to do it because just Kubernetes is the way to do it. Um, one of the things that makes this an interesting um, application here is that um, it is so interesting that it overshadowed another announcement last week that I thought was also kind of interesting that Turkcell, a Turkish network service provider, yeah. um, also doing some virtualization there. They went with, um, with, with uh, Red Hat and OpenStack. Um, and they've got 35 million subscribers. 
Yeah. So they're they're not small potatoes either. Yeah, um, that's another so, you know yeah. very big announcement in the in the realm of telco infrastructure becoming more like cloud infrastructure and using you know common cloud uh, or common IT methods, I guess you know open source and other things to get to uh, where they need to go. Yeah, the bit the business is pushing toward cloudifying networks. Um, there's a, the only the only way around that is external factors. Um, uh, people are used both enterprises and consumers are used to this fast response time. Um, yeah. You know, business wants to spin up a cloud platform; they could do it within seconds. Uh, a consumer wants to sign up to watch a TV show; they can sign up for Netflix. Basically, the slowdown on that is how fast can you type on the stupid remote? Um, <laughs> but you know, if you want a network, it's like weeks or months. Um, customers, enterprises, and consumers will not stand for that. Um, and the only way that situation can persist is if the economy collapses or if government regulators step in and slow things down. But as long as business factors continue unchecked, consumers will demand the responsiveness from network providers that they've been getting from cloud providers. AT&T looks like it is on the path to becoming a cloud provider that will, uh, a network provider that will provide that kind of responsiveness. Others that do not, um, well, save any t-shirts you have from them because they'll be collector's items because those guys are going to go out of business. <laughs> and they'll um, eventually, you know, they're going to be, they're going to fall into that same sort of tell, because once this stuff does actually move from, you know, the, the service provider cloud into the public cloud, or once they can replicate enough of this functionality in anyone yeah. else's public cloud, then AT&T can offer services anywhere on earth. And that's, yeah. that's where I think these regional providers that haven't gone down this path and tried to get stuck in and learn more about this, that's where they're going to be incredibly disadvantaged is they're going to suddenly have national operators that don't even have infrastructure in their um in their municipalities competing head-to-head -head with you know for customers and simply using the local cloud provider as the uh um as their you know as their edge as their way to get to those customers on the other hand the regional providers to the extent that they can keep the local relationship sound as the local companies expand beyond the local area, the regional providers can expand with them. Indeed. So, yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's a, yeah. there's definitely a path for those guys. And like you said before, they've got the real estate and any, any of these local, uh, Celex, Ilex, whatever like they are, um, if they've still got that real estate and they're still using it to reach customers and it's got, air conditioning and electricity and plumbing and all those things. They've, yeah. they've got an inherent advantage. The thing is they need to find other companies that can help them, uh, you know, use that to further their business or remain insanely competitive or just make money off what's just sitting there barely used. Um, you know, I know yeah. some, some, especially in rural America, there's so many central offices that just are, you know, rotting away with, old class five switches that are, you know, barely at capacity and, uh, they're cooling down those buildings every single day, no matter what else is going on in there. Yeah. It's a way to, to, 
make better use of underutilized resources. Um, and these, these local companies have the relationships with the local businesses. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. It's going to be an interesting, uh, there's still so we're still such in the, um, in the early stages of this, it'll be really interesting to see how this stuff, uh, opens up competitively, but it's definitely going to go, you know, in, in some interesting direction, just because of the urgency at which, um, service providers are heading toward the cloud and using cloud technologies to, uh, uh, to, to change the way they build their networks. Mm -hmm. Um, and we'll be, you know, obviously hitting on more of this, uh, at uh, Mobile World Congress uh, in in uh, in just a few days, so uh, yes, we'll, we'll have we'll have plenty of opportunity to talk uh, about new announcements that are going to be made there. I'm sure, but also just uh, you know about uh, uh, the general cloudification of service providers and sort of where that leaves them. Um, real quick, uh, you know, I guess that lastly before we uh, sign off here. Is there anything that you recommend uh, going back to this sort of media story behind the story? Um, what's what is the best way uh, to to get uh, a reporter such as yourself interested in a story these days? Uh, this is something that gets asked to me quite a bit, and and uh, you know, talking about Mobile World Congress, that's always the the one where there's like. You, you suddenly realize that we're outnumbered by publicists, like, you know, <laughs> 200 to one or something like that. And, uh, uh so I, I just figured I would put that to you generically and you can answer it any way you like, but what's the best way if, if some publicist is out there, they've got a story to sell you, uh, to, to get to the light reading readers, how, what's the best possible way to uh, get a high percentage response from Mitch Wagner? Um, put yourself in the position of my reader have a story that is so compelling that my reader absolutely needs to know about it that it will get that reader a bonus on their a substantial bonus on their next <laughs> quarterly or annual review if not make their career fantastic um, <laughs> and yeah that's a high bar to hit um I, like you, Phil, I'm getting dozens of pitches every day. I can more easily put together a list of things not to do than I can to do. Yeah, I know that's for Twitter. Let's, uh, but, but I was just thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking to be the most, I, I mean, you said it so succinctly and so perfectly. I, I'm probably going to use it as a soundbite somewhere, but it's like, that's, that's it. That's exactly it. It's got to be yeah. for our audience. It's got to be for the reader and it's got to be actionable valuable information that they must have and, it, and yeah you know things that they need to know and uh, or examples of things that's being done in the industry that they wish they had known about and if you can hit those you know, again that's a high bar but ev the cool thing is every single company in this space can hit that bar at one time or another yes yeah. you just need yeah. to, the hard part is knowing when and and you know, and then getting, uh, get, getting the attention, you know, in the process. But that's, that, that's, I guess, the biggest mistake that people make is they just put it out because it's important to them and they don't realize yeah. that we're, we're, we're looking out for other people, not just, <laughs> not just them. 
Yeah, yeah. And the, the other thing is it's um, it's got to be either either it's it's got to be either unique to light reading or you have to be representing a company that is so large that it is a household name yeah market movers yeah yeah i mean if if you're a market mover then it's a completely different game but if you're a startup or even a mid-sized company then you know what your your press release competes with light reading so if you just want to give me your announcement, I'm looking for reasons not to write that announcement because anything I bring to the table is probably not going to be unique. Yeah. Um, now, on the other hand, we do cover service providers very closely because that stuff tends to be unique. So. Yeah, it yeah. does. And um, when service providers yeah. when service providers tell us what they're what they're deploying and why and what services they're turning on and how they built them, there's yeah. they're almost never all alone in that there's almost mm -hmm. always a much bigger audience of other service providers or vendors that want to hear more about that. And yeah. for confirmation of that, I mean, good God, show up at our live events. Every time we have a service provider that gives a talk about this is how we're using, you know, this is how we're doing software defined networking, or this is what we're doing with NFV mm -hmm. right now. You, you can never find a seat for those that, you know, that that's, it's what the industry wants to know. Um, like you said, it's that yeah. it's that information that's going to get somebody to, uh, you know, more zeros on their paycheck, that sort of thing. Yeah, when I'm when I'm writing about, I I, I prioritize write, writing about the communication service providers um, over the vendors, unless they're huge vendors. Um, and, and when I do that, I don't really care so much about whether the thing is unique because I just kind of assume it's going to be unique to us because. Um, and this is going to sound like marketing nonsense, but it's true. Nobody else is covering telco and that market as well as we do, not even close. Um, so I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about CNBC picking up our story on AT&T uh, implementing Kubernetes because CNBC don't care about that stuff. And the people who do care about that stuff just don't seem to be doing as good a job as we do. Here, um, here. Yeah. So when you ask, when you ask me that question, how can people get stories on us? I was asking, answering it kind of with with vendor PR people in mind. Um, yeah, no, that's 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 who's you know that that's who we're trying to reach with this too. Because I, I I understand that there there's a lot of uh, a lot of conversations. Oh, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Do you hear that? I heard a little. Whoop. Yeah, oh, hold on. Oh, I have to invite Rosie to the podcast now. Um, now that I've picked her up and held her closer to the microphone, she's staring at me like a cat. Yeah, that's my office cat. She's uh, it's time for her feeding, and she's decided that uh, now's a good time to let me know. So she was um, standing on the stand right next to my microphone and threatening to hang off the end of it. So I had to pick yeah. her up. <laughs> Well, got to feed the cat. So, and that's a good place to leave this. Uh, got to feed the cat yes. is an excellent, uh, e excellent excuse to uh, uh, to wrap it up. Uh, uh, Mitch, uh, thanks so much for being on the podcast today, and thanks also for your uh, for your coverage of uh, all of this public cloud stuff and uh, and how how it's affecting the uh, the world of telcos. No, thanks for having me on.
Okay, that's it. That's all we've got. That's our show. Podcast is mixed and edited by Tian Fu, senior producer on the Light Reading video team. You can reach us by emailing editors at lightreading.com or follow light underscore reading on Twitter. For articles and research we've talked about during the show, please visit lightreading.com. Search the word podcast. That's where we keep our show notes and all kinds of other stuff. And thanks again to uh, Mitch Wagner for being on this episode and you there with the headphones. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you'll subscribe on Apple, Google Play, uh, SoundCloud, or any of the other places you can get podcasts. Um, All right, that's it. Thanks again for listening and enjoy the rest of your week, everyone. Bye.